It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, sans the sleaze factor, while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this show, show number 602, and... My guest who will be coming on at after our first break is Kristen Newman. And her first, well, it's a book, a memoir that I love the title of this thing. I think it's completely hilarious. What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. And the thing I like about this book, and, you know, and here's another thing. Being an author myself, I know what it's like to be go on for an interview, and the person goes, so, Lou, tell me about your book, which tells me they didn't read the book, which I have to say is just a little irritating. Yet, what I did, I read the entire book, and what I loved about what this memoir is, is there's, this is her sowing her wild oats, but it is also something that so acknowledges don't settle just for being in a relationship. And that's one of the things that I find often happens for people, or they have a specific list of what this person has to be like. Now, there's no doubt that Kristen, you know, had to deal with, you know, the pros and cons on her list and all the things that she had and her girlfriends had looked at. And there's a really cute story that she tells of visiting a girlfriend of hers who had become an Orthodox Jew and moved to Jerusalem with another, you know, another uh, uh, gentleman who he, too, had converted to orthodoxy as an adult. And she gives some really great relationship advice about love and how you just, you know, for them, you just go in knowing that you don't try and blow everything apart. What I also enjoyed about her, you know, the the stories that she tells, because it's all in all kinds of different chapters. And when I get her on the line after the first break, you'll, you'll, I mean, she's got one more time with feeling. Love like you're about to get deported. The Ferris Bueller, two Ferris Buellers don't make it right. And each one of these has a theme behind it, but it also has a heart that so many women can so identify with when they're looking about how they're making decisions in their lives. I mean, let's be honest. If women make a decision to go into a career, there's sort of like a finite period of time where you have to paddle like mad to ensure that, you know, you're going to have some degree of success. And when she was 
doing, when she was working, she was having, you know, some of her best girlfriends all of a sudden, and I believe it was the one girlfriend, Sasha, and I'm going to have to ask and find out if these are, you know, pseudonyms, or if indeed this uh, Sasha is a, you know, is the person's real name. But when she got married, it was like, wow, there goes my friend, my spark, the person who I do everything with. And what I also really like about the what I was doing while you were breeding, it talks about relationships on vacations in a very honest way. Now, let's be honest. When you are on a vacation, that's also why many people say they want to have vacay sex or they want to have vacation or honeymoon sex. Well, the reason things you can do things more easily and with greater spontaneity, you don't have the rest of your real world around you. You have a time when you can be by yourself. You can pick and choose. And you also know, ta-da, it is not going to be for forever. You can play the fantasy. You can have the fun. Keep yourself safe, but do what is, you know, and she also has this great expression of doing in doing in that place what you should be doing. So if it is like drinking, you know, uh, rancid yak milk, if you are somewhere in Nepal, drink it. If you are supposed to be, you know, eating a particular dish for this locale, try it, of course, within reason. But she also makes a great comment on, which I totally agree with because I do a tremendous amount of traveling, is that how someone travels is also how they are likely to be in relationships. Because if someone is, and she has a list of things on the things, how do you determine if someone is a good traveler? And I'm just going to flip to that page right now. It's page 61. And they're funny, but they are honestly, they're the honest to God truth. First one, you are open. You're open to trying new things. Secondly, you venture to the places where tourists aren't, in addition to seeing, you know, the other must-sees. But if the only place you go is where tourists go, you're not going to get the flavor of where you're going. And, hey, you're easygoing about what the eating and, you know, sleeping and arrangements are. And you don't have to change rooms three times. Have you ever been around someone who's like that? Oi. Or the person who has to change their table four times? Ugh. That's just painful. So it's not a person you're likely going to want to hang out with anyway. And for people in sexual relationships, this stuff is so completely applicable. And you're aware of what your travel companions, what they're, you know, contrary to what their desires are. And you don't necessarily have to always steamroll or someone over someone saying, you know, hey, you got to do it my way only. You travel with someone who can figure it out. So relative to your body, <clears throat> you are with someone that you don't necessarily have to give them a map of how to find everything on your body. And when you travel with them, you know they can take care of themselves. I one time was traveling to, I think it was Copenhagen, on my way to Rome. That's what it was. And I was by myself. I was meeting my boyfriend in Rome. And I think, I mean, I was, you know, heck, I was 20. 24, and, you know, so old enough to know how to travel. But I was shocked that this one friend of mine literally had to travel 
halfway around the world to meet his wife in an airport and accompany her like she was an underage child. You do not want to be with someone in a personal relationship or traveling who is like that. And you know what the trip is going to cost. So if it's going to be too expensive for you, don't do it. And she also has this thing, attractive single people almost exclusively stay in dumps. So if you go looking for them, don't go posh. Here's another thing. You are aware of cultural differences. So you don't wear, as she says, booty shorts to the, you know, the wailing wall on Shabbat. Traveling in Egypt, I was watching this incredible group of people, young German uh, tourists, when I was in Egypt. And these girls were wearing the shortest shorts that you could possibly imagine. I mean, and I'm watching these men who are the guides in front of the pyramids, and they just have their eyes. They're just kind of like, because to me, this you are culturally sensitive to what is going on. And when I look at the, here, let's continue with her little list here. Oh, here we go. You, you are aware of the cultural difference. You behave yourself with people when you're around them. So in other words, you do not, you are not rude to clerks and to people. And the last thing is, is that if you, you know, along with the flow in a spontaneous, non-uptight way, here's the deal. If you have an issue about something, name it, but then please be quiet about it. I have three minutes until my first break, and then after the break, my guest, Kristen Newman, is going to be on. She is the author of the just-released book, What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. And Diablo Cody, who was the author of, oh gosh, well, I'm drawing a blank on what she, that hilarious film of the young girl who got pregnant with the boyfriend and had the baby and then gave the baby up for adoption. Kristen will help me when she comes in. And she writes, Diablo Cody writes, Kristen Newman reminds me of Davis Sedaris, but with more joy. And Davis Sedaris is a, is a comedian and humorist who now lives in England, if I'm not mistaken. But apparently his stuff doesn't, doesn't have as much joy. There are parts in this book that, to me, were laugh out loud in her descriptions of them, which makes complete sense because Kristen is a comedy writer and was a show runner, meaning she was the person who literally was doing the writing for and putting together a production of a TV show that, well, she'll describe what ended up happening there. But she is also the author, um, pardon me, she was a writer of in, <laughs> where am I finding this? I've got so many little bits of paper on my desk here. Here we go. Ah, um, How I Met Your Mother, The 70s Show, um, Chuck, the, and so she's currently a co-executive producer for the ABC's The Neighbors. So she's been a veteran comedy writer for almost 20 years, and her stories are at one time hilarious, but they're educational, and they're also so validating for women who, she talks about this one woman who told who wrote the book about settle for something so that you don't end up, you know, having no choices. And Kristen's comment echoes mine exactly. Kill me. Because when you are, in essence, when you are settling for something, settling means you're not going for what you really want. And 
truly what her book is about is her quest and her search to find what she was looking for. And when she comes on, we'll talk about the, the men and the lessons she got from each of them from the different countries she was in, again, being culturally sensitive. And some of her stories are going to be the things that people will so identify with. So when I come back from the break, I will have my guest, Kristen Newman, with me, author of What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. And here come the tunes. Stay with us. We will be right back in two minutes. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with Lessons in Joyful Living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Mondays at noon central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. As I had said, I have my guest on with me now, Kristen Newman. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. And as I had said before the break, she is a veteran television writer. She has written for the hit comedies, that 70s show, 
Chuck and How I Met Your Mother, and she is currently a co-executive producer for ABC's The Neighbors. Well, and, I will say that sadly this month, The Neighbors was canceled. Oh, I know, that, but I am on a new show created by the same guy, Dan Fogelman, uh, and it's called Gallivant. And I just started last week, and I'm so excited because it's a musical that's uh, going to be on ABC in the winter that Alan Menken, who wrote all of the, composed all the music for every Disney musical ever, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. He did Little Shop of Horrors. He did everything. He's doing original music. We're shooting it in England. There's castles and cathedrals. It looks like Princess Bride, but with Alan Menken music. It's amazing. Oh, how cool. So, like, as you were, as I was reading your book, we're going to be talking about her book, What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding, and in it, as the producer that you are, she would try and write shows that would have to be shot in Argentina. (laughs) Anywhere. I mean, I... Here's the tragedy. As I'm writing on this show, we're shooting it in England. I got married three weeks ago to a man with two children. So my boss was like, wow, too bad you're getting married and having kids next year. Or you could be my guy on the ground in England. And I was like, that is like the equivalent of, you know, The Graduate, the movie The Graduate, where he runs and bangs on the window and says, don't marry him. That is my equivalent of that, the temptation of getting to move to England and do a TV show. I'm like, I'm trying to stay focused on this man in front of me. Stop tempting me. Exactly. But what, and just before um, we came on the air, I asked Kristen, because in here, to me, what I look at are life lessons of women who are not settling, of a woman who would not settle, and there are many stories in here that for women who want to go out and sow their wild oats and experiment and, like, check things out, to me, this is like uh, like a, a best friend that you can sit down with with a glass of wine and go, you know what, I feel that same way too. I'm and so glad to hear that. Because, and I, when you were writing the thing about, you know, having been with, you know, the the, the two men and saying, you know, if it was a guy, then I, you'd just be doing this. But here for women, we still have that slut-shaming thing that goes on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's still, you know, I'm starting to get the Internet, uh, you know, book trolls that it, it seems to be like a five-star book and a one-star book, which I love. Who wants three stars? Uh, and I, and I, I'm starting to guess that it's a little bit of a red state, blue state divide, but maybe it's not. I, I got, I got a, a commenter from Indianapolis who was saying things like, now, I don't usually like those sex memoirs, but this gal sure has a way about her. I think you should give this gal a chance. You might be happy you did, which sounded like a Republican maybe. Like maybe a Republican <laughs> likes the book. They're excited. Well, well, here's the other thing. with I have a friend of mine who <clears throat> very dry sense of humor. Her comment was, I go and look at all the one-star reviews, and she said they give me more information about the book than the five stars do. And she Mm -hmm. said, I look at the one star because she said, if they start saying things that would be, you know, against what I would be like, she said, I know that book's for me. (laughs) It's really funny. That's very funny. I think think that's the case. One of the funny ones, too, as far as slut-shaming goes, she was saying, uh, I just don't believe that she could have gotten together with so many hot guys because it's not easy to do. I bet they were ugly. I'm not into slut-shaming, but I bet these were but just whoever would take her. I'm like, she's an ugly guy slut-shamer. She just shames people who sleep <laughs> with ugly people. <laughs> Interesting. That's a whole oh new approach. Exactly. It's kind of like, oh, only through that door. Well, yeah. <laughs> if, she, if she had paid attention and looked at your site and seen what you look like, that is not the case. Oh, you are really sweet. You are really sweet. But, but I will true. say that I, I wish I could show the pictures of the men because they really were 
beautiful, a lot of them. God well, I them. just, I, of course, I, you know, curious about Father Juan, but oh. before we get to Father Juan, mm-hmm. um, you had some life lessons in there that you, one you got from your mother, some mm-hmm. from your father, and another from your grandmother. And I think what people, this is what I look at when I read things. What else are you telling me? And that thing of don't wait until you're 95 or dying and go, why didn't I? Because as I said to you, I don't think there's many regrets that you left behind in this book. Yeah, no. I mean, and one of the, you know, my first trip by myself, I write about, uh, you know, trips with girlfriends. And then as they start to abandon me viciously for husbands and children, I start to travel alone. And sometimes they come back for a trip or two after a divorce. Right. And they leave me again, you know, when they get married for the second time before I do it for the first and uh, my first trip alone was when I was 31, and I went to Argentina for the first time. And mm-hmm. that was to cure the one real regret I had in my life, which was that I had never gotten to live anywhere uh, internationally. And so I had, you know, a couple months off work like we do in TV. We have kind of teacher schedules. And I got an apartment in Buenos Aires, and I took Spanish and tango and got a cell phone down there and pretended I lived there for a couple of months at least. I got a little little taste of it. And uh, that was my one regret. And I felt like I took care of it. So that was good. And you know what? I had one regret because I went into university when I was very young. I had just turned 16. Wow. And, um, you know, pardon me, I was 16, but I remember, and I was not allowed to go away to school. And I vowed <laughs> that if I were ever, ever in a position to go away to school, I would do it. And sure enough, I did. I awesome. left from, you know, the Western Canada, very conservative area, and I moved to Manhattan to go to the Fashion Institute of Technology in the middle of the year, the place that was the furthest away from where I could be. And initially my thought was, what have I done? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it was like one of, without a doubt, one of the best things I ever, ever did. So I'm just going to give, you know, the listeners... You made the comment about your father saying, find balance and wait. Mm-hmm. And you follow yeah. that in, in a number of, you know, your things that you do with number of, you know, the countries that you're in. But I love, you know, and your mom, how you looked at how your parents were and that the lessons you got from the two of them. He was, your mother was you know, had drive, wanted to go somewhere. I mean, they were crazy in love with each other in the beginning, but then they changed. And yeah, my dad My dad is somebody who liked to sit in the backyard, and my mom was an international corporate lawyer who, you know, took me to other countries, and he wanted to kind of go to the same camping spot every year. Um, but he, But he did have that good advice about watch your friends and see what they do wrong mm-hmm. and what they do right, and then try things based on that. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's you know, I think that's what I've done getting married at 40 for the first time. I'm not but, sure he meant for me to take it that way. Well, you also, you, I, I talk about the woman who wrote the book, you know, um, settle for, you know, just settle for, for yeah, the whatever. case for settling, like just yeah. marry him, the case for settling. And, and you said, kill me. I totally agree with you. It's that, so depressing. Oh, it is. But I'll tell you, Kristen, if women were to go and do some of the things I have this one group of people who say, if you are not don't know where you're going in your life, get on a plane and go and talk to somebody. Yeah. And you will discover more about yourself in when you come back into your other world again. And I think there are far too many women and men who get a list of saying, this is what I want in that person. 
and if they don't match it. But, you know, you and your girlfriends did have, you know, sort of like you wanted them to look like this, or at one point you say wanted to have a great sense of humor, and then you, at one point in the book you went, mm, no, okay, that doesn't really have to be there anymore. That's, yeah, well, know. that was after a week in a in a ski cabin with like fifteen <laughs> comedians, and it was just exhausting. It was, you know, I, I call it the I, uh, like the dick joke Olympics with right. all of these boys needing to tell the most jokes the most often. It was just exhausting. <laughs> no and doubt you're like, about maybe, it. Maybe amusing is better than funny. Maybe not a comedian. Well, and you also had when you made the comments of the people who I'm going to find, here's one of them. What page were we on here? Oh, when you talked about with How I Met Your Mother, like that wasn't a show that I really watched, but I understand that it is, you know, you lose the opportunities to connect mm-hmm. and you you miss the opportunity to connect with that person who would be. And there's times when you would have that with people and you go, but you brought so much of what your travels were into your work and into your dinner party conversations. And I would like to know, did you change everyone's name or are they pseudonyms for everybody or just for some of the men? Almost everybody has pseudonyms, including my girlfriends. I I gave, you know, five or six people a their chapters with a red pen and let them redline anything they wanted to. And almost everybody left it completely alone. Um, but I changed almost all the names. Father Juan, I had to leave because once you read the book, you'll see there's just a lot of great Juan wordplay. You know, is he the Juan? Another yes, Juan exactly. Dust. Uh, and, is and, he the Juan for me? You know, one more time with feeling. These, exactly. These, this is gold. This is comedy gold. You can't be changing that. But I think no. there's enough Juans in Argentina that maybe it's it's still right. and uh, here's, anonymous. Here, right, and here's the other thing. People have to know he had left the seminary, right? Was he a Jesuit? That's right. That's right. Now he was he was a no just Catholic priest in seminary to be a Catholic priest for four years, and mm-hmm. then he had left just a few months before I met him. So unfortunately, he was not actually defrocked, but uh, but he was pretty close. Well, and here's but here's what you also I love how you continued that story that basically told people at some point, even though you're thinking that this person's going to be that person for you, they end up being the. They give you more of the lesson as you're leaving than... Yeah. And and if you had... I have a f- friend of mine who she wanted very much to go down and be with this guy who was in Colombia, blah, 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 blah. It would have been a freaking disaster because... Yeah, she, vacation's it, different. It, it, it's not the same thing as when you are, you know, back here on terra firma. Now, we have one minute until our first break. My guest is Kristen Newman. Her book is What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. And the new show, is it's called Gallivant? That's right. And when is it? It's on ABC? ABC, probably around this March. It's going to be like one month special event every Sunday night for a month, something like that. Ooh, how fun. Now, yeah. we're coming up to our thing. And when we come back, I want you to go down for your top three of your lovers and why that was so. Okay? okay. <laughs> Here come the two. <laughs>
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. As a member of the baby boomer generation, you want insights and ideas that factor into planning for, making choices about, and activating your new or mothballed dreams. As a boomer, you can learn how to act on your visions by tuning into the Awakening to Awareness show on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you are inspired to follow your own path, step into new directions, and are excited about what you, as a recent or soon-to-be-retiree, can do with your life, this is your show. Listen to the show that focuses on self-belief and possibilities for emerging seniors who look forward to life's third act with dread or amazing promise. Host Eric Tonigson and his guests share entertaining ideas and explore strategies to reignite your passions and shift your intentions into action. In his naturally curious and motivating ways, Eric explores personal values, shares wisdom, and encourages you to unlock and live your potential and purpose. Join Eric and his Awakening to Awareness show on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on the TogiNet Talk Radio Network. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and thank you again for being with us. My guest today is Kristen Newman, the author of the just-released book, What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. And before the break, I said, I would like to know the list of the top three men in her life and why? Well, having been married three weeks, I obviously have to say that my husband is the number one. Mm -hmm. But then we'll go to number two. Okay. The interesting stuff to hear. No one wants to hear about married sex. So boring. (laughs) Um, But I would have to say that the number two... It, it, it talks about number the number two person was this uh, Israeli-born writer in Los Angeles. Now, I I can say a great grander thing about Israelis in general because they 
all tend to be pretty highly rated. And I think it's because there's this very intense, like, we may not be here tomorrow. Maybe we need to repopulate our people. Maybe it's because they all go into the army, all of them, with all of these very fit, tanned 18-year-olds. It's like Olympic Village, the whole country, you know, just like mm-hmm. fit, tan young people all in one place. And it's in Israel, if you are not highly religious and, you know, in the place where you can't even touch a woman's hand, then you are having the most casual sex in any country I've ever been to. It really? is straightforward. They don't small talk. There is no sort of beating around the bush. There's like, hey, you want to do this? And nobody judges if, as long as you're not religious, which there's no one between there, right? Very religious, not religious at all. Mm-hmm. Very intense. Very, very, uh, very advanced. Highly recommend the Israelis. Okay. I'm going to say that. Um, and then I would have to say, I'm just going to go for countries. You know, since my okay. book is about travel, I would also very much like to send people to Argentina. Especially okay. the single women, because I feel like there is like a if, if there's a scale of sexual aggressiveness the world over, mm-hmm. and you've got American men are sort of on the far left, like almost completely disabled. They need to be about 145 in the morning and at the bar before they're drunk enough to ask for your number. They have to pretend they're there to talk to their friends up until then. They just stumble into you by accident. They're, they're almost useless. They they don't really know how to make a first move in a way that isn't cheesy, but it's just like just a great thing, right? Uh, then on the other far right, you have the Italians. If you yes. travel to Italy alone as a woman, you will just get sexually assaulted. That's just what will happen. And granted, my Italian male friends have explained to me that this is not their fault that they sexually assault. It's the fault, they say, of a culture that has taught women that you must say no five or six times to a man before you say yes, or he will not be interested in you. And so the Italian women all say no five or six times before they say yes. The Italian men have all been framed, therefore, that when a woman says no thank you, then you just have to ask five or six more times, usually with your hands and your body. One time I had to literally kick an Italian man in the chest. I was on a bar stool and he was trying to pick me up at a bar. And I went from like uh, laughing and then turning away and then saying no thank you and then pushing his hands off of me and then physically leaning back and taking my foot and putting it on his chest and kicking him away from me. Very aggressive. Anyway, in the middle. Yes, okay. Perfect. Perfect in the middle. The perfect, perfect sweet spot is Argentina. Okay. The men there, they know it is their duty to tell you you're beautiful and to come over and to, and to try to talk to you. And if you say no thank you, they say, great, have a great life. And they move to the girl on the next bar stool. And they throw it out at her. And they just know it's their job to put it out there. But they absolutely know that a lot of times there will be a no thank you. And they are fine with it. And they are beautiful. They are so good looking. The first time I went to Argentina, I was talking to this kind of conservative American girl who had been living down there for several years. Right. I tell this story in the book. Yeah. And she's kind of, kind of, kind of quiet, kind of mousy. And I was going to be going on my first date with an Argentine guy that I'd met at a tango club the night before, Argentinian man. And she said, well, the thing is that they expect you to sleep with them on the first date because that's what Mm -hmm. Argentine women do. And I said, oh, and what happens when you don't sleep with them on the first date? And she goes, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They're very charming and good looking. Well, it's not something that happens. <laughs> right, but you also gave me a lesson on for the Brazilian women who, when you're with what, what the Ferris Bueller, the gentleman who you call Ferris Bueller, who sort of like yeah. gathers these people all around and trips then go, they're, they're a New Year's trip, New Year's Eve trip, right? Yeah, he he kind of, 
you know, raises his hand in the air and says, let's go to this country for New Year's Eve and like 50 people go. It's crazy. We've gone all over the world and he just has this ability to motivate people and go places. And yeah, he he was in Brazil one year with a bunch of friends and, and it's all these guys and I've watched them do this all over the world. So I know this is true. They go into a bar, they meet a million people and they have all of these girlfriends suddenly. And But in Brazil, they kept having a problem where they would go to a bar, mm-hmm. they would be talking up all these beautiful women, and after about 20 minutes, the women would wander off and within five minutes be making out with some other guy. And this kept happening. And so finally, he asked a Brazilian girl why she thought they all kept striking out. And she said, she asked if they had kissed the girls before the girls had wandered off. And he's American, like I said, they take their time in almost a disabled way. And he's like, no, no, it had only been a few minutes. We'd only been talking to them for a few minutes. And she started to laugh. And she said, in Brazil, if a man hasn't kissed you within five minutes, he's not interested. And that's why the girls wandered off, is they thought that the men weren't interested. And having been there as a woman, I can tell you that is the case. That's what they do. (laughs) So I'm almost wanting to say, what are the lessons that you would give American men that you learn from these other cultures? Because, I mean, you also had a great story in there of the friend of yours who became an Orthodox Jewess and moved to uh, Jerusalem. Yeah. And about love and what she felt love was and how it developed. And it was something there was no, they both were very clear about that they were going, heading in the same direction. Yeah. You know, they, I was, you know, I was talking to her about how Orthodox Hasidic women, you know, men get married and, you know, they only date with the intent of marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, by the time they've even gone on that first date with somebody, they've been vetted. They've sometimes been set up by a matchmaker or by a clergyman, you know, a rabbi or some friends. And so they know all about the person. They are only meeting with the intent of figuring out if they want to get married. And right. so they're very direct. And she said that there's only three things they think about. Are you attracted to the person? Mm-hmm. Do you um, bring the best out of each other? Mm-hmm. And do you want the same things out of life? Right. She's like, that's it. Those are the only three things. And are you attracted has to be has to happen. They are it is against God to marry someone you're not attracted to. But mm-hmm. it's third. And mm-hmm. um but you know, after three or four meetings they decide to get married. And I, I asked her, I said, you know, you obviously can't love someone after three or four dates. You're just picking somebody based on you know, based on some evidence that you someday will love them. How does that work? Because I've broken up with so many people for so many years because that feeling, that feeling, I've always said, it's not that I want a perfect person. It's that I want a perfect feeling. I want to feel right. this fine feel you, delivered over the mm-hmm. moon movie magic love that I, that is so easy to feel in a vacation romance, you know? Mm-hmm. And she said that in their community and their religion, love is something that you feel that, that you get because you've given to somebody that if you right. give enough to somebody, then you love them. And that if, if you, if you, wait for the feeling of love and base it on the feeling of love. Feelings change. Feelings come and go. You know, mm-hmm. most married people will tell you they're not feeling love swelling in their heart every minute of every day, or even maybe most of the minutes of every day for their spouse that, you know, she was talking about love being a choice and choosing to do it and feeling it because you give so much to them that it, that it bonds you to them. So that was really interesting. I thought really, cause I mean, and I, when I read that, because I have a number of friends who, um, have become very orthodox. Hmm. You know, originally had been, you know, uh, a singer at Club Med. And <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Wow. And um, when, and I asked her, I said, what's the best thing about it? And she said, you know, 
there are, and she talked about the two weeks on, two weeks off, because when she had her period for, you know, from the period until a week afterwards, which of course is when you are your most fertile, um, that is when you are, you sleep in, you know, different beds or, you know, different room. And you can't even touch, you can't even touch hands. You can't, you can't pass something from one person or they have to pass it Mm -hmm. through someone else. Mm -hmm. And that, that was, and, and the, maintaining the excitement of the two of them being back together again. Yet, you also talked about the rebooting the neurons and and creating new brain pathways. And we know that our thoughts create everything in our lives. How And so the feeling thing, and going back to the life lessons that we had spoken about earlier, the one was about your grandmother who never went to Paris. Yeah, it was her favorite place. She had French relatives... And she had her house was decorated with pictures of Paris, but her kids started a fund one year for her that they would put money into at birthdays and Christmas. And after a couple of holidays, she told them to stop doing it because she didn't want to go. And when I asked her why, she said it was she was afraid it wouldn't live up to her image of it, that it wouldn't it would disappoint her. Which I think is just that to me is like one of the saddest things I've heard for a long time. Mm, True. Super sad. Super duper sad. I agree. And yet also, here's one other thing. I'm going to let, okay, people, this is a book that is a memoir of a woman who is a comedy writer. So there are parts of it that are laugh out loud hilarious in the descriptions. And if you know anything about words, there's all kinds of fun wordplay that she does with things. But what she also has at the very end of this story is something where you closed a loop as a result of the relationship that you had had with your stepmother. And that is, that was huge because it allowed you to also then be more open to the man who would, as you glibly said before you went off to Argentina, um, sure, introduce me to my husband when I come back at, um, you know, at the beginning of May. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then it happened, and then she did. It was crazy. And, um, but you know, yeah, I was. I it started. I you know. I, I basically I met my now husband's two kids the same month that my stepmother died, and she had really been the bad guy of my life. Um, and she had cancer, and she died. And I have three little half siblings and an elderly father, so I sort of took them on, especially for those first few months after they lost their mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my little and now, and sister here was eleven. We'll come back with how Kristen met her husband, the finalization, Kristen Wright, Kristen Newman, author, What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. We'll be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. Be sure to register your copy of Sam at www.spatialaudio.com. You'll feel warm and squishy inside once you do. Get ready for Wise Up Radio, leveraging your learning, leadership, and legacy with Donna Kimbrand, the edgy evolutionary, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you're an entrepreneurial leader or visionary, 
Stay ahead of your game with insights, tools, and strategies that give you the thought leader's edge. Each week, join Donna and her guests as she'll ask the edgy questions, help you discover game-changing shortcuts to better thinking and learning, how to explore the ripple effects of leadership excellence, and how to create your life as a living legacy, where the legacy you leave is the life you live. As thought leaders, you need strategies to help you enjoy the confidence and thrill of riding the wave of rapid change. For more on Donna, check out her website, GameChangerThinking.com. Then join the conversation and sharpen up your wits on Wise Up Radio with Donna Kimbrand. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. And just before the break, uh, Kristen Newman, who is my guest, uh, the author of the just released What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding, which I have to admit, I when I first heard that title, I thought, that is really funny. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because there are so many times when women are so constantly given the message, you must do this or else. And there's kind of like this ticking clock that goes off, like this banging gong. But, you know, it doesn't just happen to women. It happens to men as well. It does. And I really, you know, it, the title came because I would every so often, you know, I, I was really afraid of marriage and breaking up with a lot of great guys, you know, deep into my 30s because I just was so addicted to traveling and having solo adventures and then being that girl who had the great stories around the table. But I also was feeling broken as a result and also wondering, you know, hoping that I would want these things. And even after I started wanting it, it took a few years to find it. And so I would start to feel like, God, you know, here I am in between gigs, in between amazing, you know, just home from an amazing trip in between guys, you know, 10 years later, still feeling like I'm in the same place while my friends have built families and children and husbands. And, you know, what have I been doing with my time? But when Mm -hmm. I really thought about it, like I had been doing a lot, there was a lot I had, I had, I hadn't just been spinning my wheels and chasing my tail the way that I sometimes felt it had really added up to something. And so, and, and that's why I wanted to write the book was so that I had sort of like a here's what I did. I made this book, you know, I, 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 I had the experiences that it took to make this book that I hope make people laugh. You know, there's, I sat down to mostly entertain and then, then it sort of came to me as I was writing that there was also my life story getting told in there. So it's the, the, the title is cheeky and sounds initially like it might, like it's going to be judgmental towards people who have kids, but that's not it. You know, the stories of my girlfriends who were getting married and having babies in there and getting divorced or being happily married or being single along with me are in the book too, as sort of, um, sort of examples of all of the different kinds of paths that everybody can take. And all of us at various times felt like the grass was greener and that the, you know, oh, they're jealous of me because I can travel and have these great right. Oh, I'm jealous of them because they have love and family. And just, but you know, and then on other days, I was like, oh my God, my life is so much better. God, I never want that marriage. And sometimes they were like, oh my God, my life is so much better. I would never want to be going on another match.com first date. You know, so, and I think so, you know, good days and bad days, everybody looks at each other's choices differently. And so it's not judgmental towards any of them. It's, I hope 
you know, for me, I, I hope that people, if they get anything out of it, it's realizing that they don't, if they don't want to follow that goal oriented, find marriage and children path. And, you know, you're allowed to have more than like one spring break where you're a little wild. You're allowed if you want to just have some fun for like a long time. It's okay. You're not chasing your tail. You're enjoying yourself. You're making yourself happy. Well, every time you would come back from something, there would be something else that you got out of it. And when there was that real switch for you, I believe, was was in New Zealand. And, and you write about that you realized you, it, it was, that you were normal, but also terrifyingly that I was normal. And you write about the the Lena Dunham's character on Girls who would have a similar moment when she broke down and wept to a nice, handsome doctor with a beautiful house. Please don't tell anybody this, but I want to be happy. I want all the things everyone wants. And you say that, you know, you were embarrassed to be a 35-year-old woman who was looking for true love and family. And it was so freaking typical. And that it was also, but deeply relieved, that you'd finally gotten there. Yeah, it's, I mean, I work with a bunch of boys all day long in comedy rooms, you know, and they they talk about the women in their lives and they complain about them. And there's there's so many, you know, Bridget Jones characters out in the media of these like miserable single girls looking for love. And I think that a big part of me didn't let myself want it for a long time because it just seemed so typical and boring and stereotypical. And I like, I somehow wanted to be a different, a different example out there of showing people, you know, I am not depressed. I am not sad and lonely and waiting for my Prince Charming. I'm having a great time and I feel good about this. There's and no that question. was that was great and valid. <laughs> but yeah, and, and I'm gonna write a book out about, about it. But there was a moment where I was like, yeah, on that beach in New Zealand going, This is fantastic. I kinda done it. I've kinda I've been on a lot of beautiful trips alone. I've had a lot of affairs with beautiful men that were fantastic. I've had a lot of them. You know, I've I've proved that I can go to continents alone and do it, and I, which I turned out I didn't even know, but it turns out I needed so badly to have that self-knowledge and be able to come back with the confidence that you get when you travel alone, mm-hmm. which changes the way you go to a job interview or go to a first date at Starbucks or go to dinner with your mom. You know, it changes everything about you. But I suddenly realized that, you know, 35 on that beach in New Zealand, it's done. I did it. Like, I'm okay now if it's <laughs> exactly. over. Like, but it's you also off. have, you know, 35 sleeping on a mattress in a bathroom. Uh-uh. Done. Yeah, I did that. That was unfortunate. <laughs> that was really unfortunate. For a week on a bathroom floor on a mattress. Why? I don't know why. <laughs> but then there was also, like the... you know, the girl who had no, you know, ability to compromise and had to have blah, blah, blah. But what you also did is when you came back after your, you know, you came back from your final time to Argentina you go on this date and what had you think or feel when did you know that the switch had flipped and that rob who i'm assuming is a pseudonym for your husband that rob was the person for you um you know this i knew that i was ready to find somebody um who was a grown up before I met <laughs> you him. did say you did say that yeah, I knew it was before him. And I had, I had, kids were always a deal breaker for me because I had such a bad experience with my own stepmother. And I was just afraid of that dynamic. Uh, but it be- started to become, as I was starting to date people deeper into their 40s who had never been married or had kids, it, start, it sen- started to sen- somehow sound really attractive that somebody who was in their 40s had done something so adult as to commit and have mm-hmm. children and be a father. And right. so I was 
terrified of it. The first time I went into his apartment and saw the two little blue twin beds, I sprinted out. Oh, just sprinted. I was supposed to be the sex date. It didn't happen. I ran out of the apartment. Um, But even though I was scared, I pushed past it. And the first time I saw him with his children was probably when I knew. And that was eight months in. I mean, we were in a good place. We were in love, all of those things. But when I saw him with his kids and met them and saw they really are phenomenal people and saw who he had made right. and what he was like with them. Um, that and was the you, most attractive he's ever been, for sure. And that was, uh, was that uh, Santa Monica, and she, the one that 12-year-old said, let me show you something? Yeah, yeah, he just wanted to, he wanted to impress me. You know, and I was a little girl who had so much tragedy, you know, so much tragic, like, um, heartbreaking when my parents found other people. And these kids were just... I mean, it was hard, I'm sure, in some ways, but they were so open to me and just, they're boys. Boys are simpler. They just want to impress you and have some fun. And, you know, I always made it very, very clear to them that I supported, you know, their their relationship with their mother and their father and the four of them as a unit, even after we got married. And, mm-hmm. you know, our first our first vows and our wedding were to them um, and my promises to them and how, where, what, where they would be in their father's life always, 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 which was at the top, no matter what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I just, I came from a lot of uh, a bad experiences as a stepchild. And so I was always bending over backwards, but they've always been just simpler. They're just simpler than I was. They're just sweet. <laughs> well, and you know, the one thing, having been a stepmother myself, one of the things I did is I had the conversation with them of like, look, here's the deal. Um, you're not getting moved out of your room. We're not selling the house. None of these other things are going to be happening. We're here. And I use the, instead of saying your dad or my husband, I use the sort of non-possessive pronoun of himself. And I yeah. said, we're here because of himself. And, <laughs> you know, really, somehow you guys have a lot of history together. I don't. You know, I'm the other adult in the household. And, you know, somehow we'll make this work. I don't, you guys, i, I got to be really honest with you. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, this, we'll do this. You can do, you can, your bombs can go off in your room. I don't care. But the common areas, you know, we all have to share them. I said, and I'm not pregnant. And that's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, so, so, so comforting. You know, I learned about my stepmother via a conversation saying, uh, so I'm, I'm seeing someone. She's going to become your new mommy because she's pregnant with your new brother or sister. Got all the information at once. Oh, all you're, you're, together. You're, so you know, I was very strict about, like, we roll it out slowly. They know about me after we're sure we're on a serious track. They don't, they don't need to meet me until a couple of months after they get used to the idea of me. I don't sleep over for months after they meet me for the first time. I took it slowly, you know, and I, I think that that ultimately paid off. I think that they, they felt safe. And that's really what relationships in a large part are, is yeah, knowing that, safe. You know, you're you're safe and that, you know, what you do is respected. If I can jump back for a moment, my dear, what would you say are the lessons you would like North American men to get? <laughs> okay. Well, um... <laughs> because I, I, I do seminars worldwide and I will tell them. Great. Here's what I think. I think that in a non-cheesy, non-scary way, you should approach women. I read something once that it took American men, that, that the amount of eye contact a woman had to make with, an, with, with a man to get him to walk across the room and say hello, mm-hmm. it required making three seconds of eye contact and smiling mm-hmm. and then looking away 
You had to do that 17 times. <gasps> oh, what my goodness. Woman? No wonder you said that they were just, just what did you say? They were just basically disabled. Disabled. You're disabled is the politically correct way, I guess. I mean, what woman would ever feel comfortable making eye contact for three seconds and smiling 17 times? No one does that. Like, just pick it up. Pick it up a little bit sooner and come over and say hello. Make a move. Do that. Just don't be afraid. Secondly, mm-hmm. I started, I, after, after my year in, in Argentina or my time in Argentina, I came back. I don't reach for the check anymore till at least date three. I give them a couple times where they just pick up the bill and I think they feel great about it and everybody feels fine and I don't feel offended as a feminist. I, I start picking up bills and do it every other time, dates three or four. But those first couple, I just let that happen. Now, I think that it's a primal good feeling for men to do it and men should just do it and they should not let the woman help for at least three dates, even if she offers, okay. no matter what. I okay. believe I believe that's important. You know, and all of the doors and all of this. Another thing that people do, men do in Latin America, that I think American men used to do, but has fallen by the wayside of manners, oh. is walk on the outside of the woman on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. like on the street side. This mm-hmm. is something that Latin men, they, no matter, they just naturally find their way. If you go around a corner and now they're on the inside, they switch sides. It's just mm-hmm. this polite, like, protective positioning <laughs> that feels so good. I have to tell you, there's, in my mind, and we have one minute until the end of the show, mm-hmm. um, my guest today has been Kristen Newman, the author of Just Released, What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. And I have to tell you, get this book. You will have laugh out loud moments, and her new show is coming up is Gallivant, which will be I think you said March. I think so. Around March, but the manners crucially important. And Kristen, thank you for giving us the insight on your adventures and your life lessons. It has been a delight to speak with you. you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget.